You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Corey Johnson and Kush Parikh. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesdays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds on Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S. Bleed is your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush, and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Corey Johnson. Always here. It's Corey in the house. How you doing, my guy? Corey is in the building. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good to be back on the Nosebleeds Podcast, baby. We got a lot to get into, a lot to talk about and discuss for sure. Let's start with on this day. We haven't done this in a minute, but on this day, October 28th, 1995, we had a World Series win, and that was the Atlanta Braves beating the Cleveland Indians 1-0 in Game 6 for the Braves to get their third championship, which is the most recent. Take a listen. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. I think it's perfect timing that we're talking about the Braves winning a championship because we got them playing in the World Series right now. Let's so let's hop into the MLB. First off, let's see how we got to the World Series. Looking at the ALCS, we have the Astros beating the Red Sox in six games. And in the NLCS, the Braves beating the Dodgers in six games, which has set us up with the Astros versus the Braves. Game one and game two have already been played. Game one, the big story was Charlie Morton fracturing his fibula that took him out in the third inning. Braves ultimately won because their bullpen came through uh, and the bats were alive from the first at bat. You saw Jorge (laughs) Soler becoming the first player in MLB history to lead off a World Series with a home run. And then in game two, you have the Astros winning seven to two, like game one, kind of lacked the drama you love to see in fall classic. And you have Jose Altuve tying Bernie Williams for the second most home runs in postseason history. So game three is on Friday uh, with Luis Garcia taking on Ian Anderson in Atlanta. I know we're two games into this series, but who do you have winning this series? Uh, I feel like. And a lot of people are going to hate me for this. I, I already feel it. I feel it already. You guys are screaming right now. No, how could you? I got the Astros winning it, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I got the Astros winning it. I felt like um, it would have been so interesting to have seen Astros versus Dodgers. We didn't get it. But, hey, kudos to the Braves. And shout out to both me and Kush. I had the Astros beating the Red Sox. He had the Braves beating the Dodgers. But more so, shout out to Kush. Because this man, Kush, Said it back in spring training. He said that ATL was going to the World Series. So kudos to you, Kush. Definitely shout out to you for that. Um, I just wish I put my money where my mouth was. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. I know. In due time. In due time. We might actually do that. (laughs) But but 
But as far as this World Series, I got the Astros win just because I feel like it's been a grind and a hell of a fight for the Braves team, a team who at one point was under 500, who is missing their big star player, Ronald Acuna Jr., who would have been absolutely aching and itching and scratching to have been here because, man, that would have been such a – what a time we could have had Ronald Cooney Jr., who was looking like he could have potentially been an MVP type of guy this season. And who knows if they would have had this guy. It could be a whole different ballgame. But at one point, I feel like the Braves kind of just been on a magical run. But I feel like the Astros are going to be that villain, be the villain that nobody wants to see winning and just go and just – pull the rug, pull the, the Cinderella shoe off of the Braves and ruin the story and ruin the moment for ATL and the rest of the world who wants to see the Astros lose. For me, I got to stick with my team that I had making the World Series in the pro season. <laughs> like you mentioned, the Braves. Uh, it's, it's just insane to see how great this team is without arguably their best hitter, their best pitcher in Mike Soroka, and their best player from last year's postseason in uh, Marcelo Zuna. So, I mean... Those three guys were huge for them last year. And without them three, the fact that they're here in the World Series and are now tied one and one, it going back to ATL is huge. So, I mean, the Astros are great. They're very, very good. But I got to ride with the hot team, and that is the Atlanta Braves. So I got them winning in seven games. Let's move on to the NFL. We got a lot of news going on. Let's start off with... Thursday night football, we got a preview over here with the Packers versus the Cardinals. Coming into this week, this was primed to be maybe the best matchup of the week, but that all changed when the Packers defense coordinator Joe Barry went into uh, COVID protocol, and then they had the Packers wide receiver number one and wide receiver number two, Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard. They both got ruled out for the game for COVID protocols too. And you got Rodgers now. He's going to be down two of his top pass catchers versus a very good Cardinals defense. But for the Cardinals, they will be out, be without J.J. Watt this game with a shoulder injury. And they actually just announced that he is possibly he's having shoulder surgery and could be out for the remainder of the season. So that is a huge, huge blow for the Cardinals and a huge blow just for J.J. Watt in general. I feel like from a guy who's won three defensive players of the year and now to just his entire legacy could just be kind of diminished and kind of thrown under the rugs from, because that was at one point where he was being talked about as one of the greatest defenders of all time. And now just injuries have kind of derailed that, but back to the game, let's talk about our predictions. Currently the Cardinals are six and a half point favorites. Who are you rocking with this game? And do you think the Cardinals or the Packers will cover? I, Hmm. I'm rocking with the Cardinals to win, but I think that what you mentioned, no Devontae Adams, no Adam Lazard, but I still feel that Rodgers is still going to be dangerous, man, just because he's on that, he's on that type of, that vibe this season where he's literally trying to show everybody like, yeah, I'm still that dude. I'm still that dude that won MVP a year ago. I'm still that dude who was one game away from going back to a Super Bowl. I'm still that dude who owns the, the Chicago Bears and let them know about it. And yeah, so I feel like Aaron Rodgers is definitely going to hurt not having his two best targets. Um, but at the same time, we've seen dudes off the practice squad come up and look like pro bowlers with Aaron Rodgers throwing to them. So, I mean, it's not to say that it's not impossible for the Packers to come up with a victory, 
but I think it's going to be a tight one for sure. And the Cardinals definitely got to be prepared because, like you said, no J.J. Watt. And I feel bad, like you said. I've seen a clip of J.J. when he was talking about how everybody's making excuses for why the Cardinals are winning and why, you know, they might be having success. And he was like, it don't matter. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, yo, yo, JJ was hyped, yo. And you just love to see that type of veteran presence, that veteran leadership. And that type of thing is definitely something that you need in the locker room. And Hopefully this isn't the last we've seen of him this season because he's been an integral piece, I think, as to why they've had so much success on that side of the ball because he just brings that that ability to get to the quarterback. And if even if he's not the one that gets to him, it brings pressure on that O-line to have to pay attention to him and the quarterback has to pay attention to him that somebody else can get the sack. So I think him not being there could also cause them some, uh, some hurt in the long run, but... I just can't wait to see this matchup. Kyler Murray versus Aaron Rodgers is going to be a real fun one to see. This is going to be a fun matchup, regardless of the two receivers are out. But I don't know if you remember back in 2016 when Rodgers had the Hail Mary to Jeff Gannis yes, yes. in the end zone against the Cardinals in, I believe it was overtime as well, too. So that was a crazy – oh, no, that that game, that was to send it to overtime. Yes. Um, so, I mean, this team has – history with each other and hopefully i i'm i'm hoping that the game comes down to something like that because i would love to see and that. don't forget the cardinals recently had a hell mary of their own just a mm-hmm. season ago the yep <laughs> but uh both teams coming into this game are six and one against the spread so this is a very tough matchup to choose but i think the cardinals do remain undefeated and i think that they do end up covering that six and a half point spread i don't know if it's going to change come game time but as of right now, it's six and a half, and I think they cover as well, too. I'm taking the points. <laughs> Let's move on. We got the trade deadline coming up Tuesday, November 2nd, and probably the hottest name on the market is quarterback Deshaun Watson. Watson is yet to play a game this season, uh, even though he is eligible to play. And the NFL and Roger Goodell said that they don't have enough information to make a decision to rule out Watson and put him on the commissioner's exempt list. So Watson has been linked to trades ever since he began the uh, this past offseason. And he does have a no trade clause, so he can dictate where he wants to be traded to. And some of the teams that have been rumored are the Dolphins, the Panthers, the Eagles. Do you think he gets traded? And if he does, where do you think he'll go? I think the most likelihood is the Dolphins, but it, it – it depends on Watson and whether or not he wants to obviously go there. Obviously, like you just said, but to it's me, definitely, that's one of the teams that he did say he's he waited yeah. clause for. I think on paper the Dolphins look like a really good, a really good team that you would want to go to. I don't know, you know. Obviously, I feel like I don't think Deshaun Watson is going to play this season. I, I'm gonna just say that right now. I don't think Deshaun Watson is playing this season. So you hope that if you're the Dolphins in the long term, regardless of whatever you decide to give up, I'm assuming that Tua might maybe be have to be involved in the trade talks. But Oh, I think knows. 100% he does. Yeah, so I think that's a big ticket item that the Texans are going to be trying to call for because they need something, I think, and they don't want to have to really worry about, you know, trying to go through the draft. Because I think Tua, it's more, to me, to me, I think it's more of a confidence thing with Tua. Um, about his reliability and I think also it's uh, what uh, whether or not he can stay healthy and stay on the field because he has had injury history at Bama and 
you know, you could argue it's his size, you know, whatever the case may be. But I just think that Tua Tagovailoa is still a formidable quarterback that is still growing and still developing. And it takes time. Like, you know, everybody rid off Josh Allen as soon as he got into the league. Look where he is right now. Everybody kind of rid off Sam Darnold after the years he's been in with the Jets. And he's still developing, too. Don't get me wrong. He's making he's made some mistakes. You know, obviously not having McCaffrey has not helped him, but I think he's a good quarterback as well. So I think that um, this will really be an interesting storyline going down to the trade deadline, because if I'm Miami, do I pull the trigger? Because I know Brian Flores has been playing the good shepherd. He's been playing the good Samaritan out there saying that two is our guy, two is our guy, two is our guy. But we know we've seen time and time again, when organizations say you're the guy, you you might not be that guy. You're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. You're not that guy, pal. So uh, honestly, I, I I hope that we get some more information coming soon. And I, I hope we see a trade wherever it is. It would be interesting. I would like to see the Steelers get a little more aggressive and try to get in the mix. But the likelihood of that happening is uh, like um, – is like um, their head coach going to join USC. So it's not, it's not going to happen. That ain't happening. So um, Deshaun Watson, I feel like if a move is going to be made, it should be made in the off season. And I think that's where it's going to be made. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, and if a deal does get done, I think he does end up in Miami and I think it'll probably play, take Tua and two first rounders to get the trade done something along the lines of that. Uh, but yeah, I don't necessarily see him getting traded just because I think there's, there's, so, there's so much, way too much, there's so yeah. much smoke that you can't see what's going to happen with if he does get traded and then all these allegations start pouring on again and everything just gets like it's Pandora's box open again. I just don't think Miami would take that risk as of right now until stuff is resolved, which is I think closer which will happen probably in the off season. But I, I definitely do think that Miami eventually could get this trade done. I just don't think it's going to happen right now midseason. Yeah, because, I mean, you said it best. Like, Because if the Dolphins make this trade and, and the allegations do turn out to be true and he is, you know, found, you know, in legal trouble and found guilty of it, then all of a sudden you look like an idiot. Even if Tua isn't that guy, even if he's not, you know, the greatest of players – you're giving all this capital essentially for nothing because the guy could be in jail. Like that's the thing. And so I think it's better to wait and find out later, but just know that the longer that they wait, more teams could become in the market for Deshaun Watson. That's the only problem because while the Dolphins are the front runners right now, that could definitely change. That could change if he gets exonerated and prove innocent of, you know, what he's being accused of. And all of a sudden, he becomes a hot ticket item. All these other teams, like I said, could jump right in and be willing to give way more and be able to give way more than what the the Dolphins are currently offering. But we'll see what plays out. Yeah, and I think the Dolphins are not in a position to tank right now because, I mean, I know they're one in six, but they do not own their own pick. It is the 49ers that own their pick. Or sorry, the is it the Eagles? It might be the Eagles, I think, that yeah. own their pick. Um so, yeah, so I, I think uh, they're just in a sticky situation right now, but I don't think anything gets done. Moving on, we got the Bengals, who are 5-2, and two, holding the number one spot in the AFC after taking down the former number one seeded Ravens in a very, very convincing fashion. And the big proponent for this surge is their offense and the duo of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. 
You look at Joe Burrow this season, almost 2,000 passing yards, 17 touchdowns, and eight interceptions. Strong candidate for comeback player of the year, even though Dak is leading that charge. And then you got Jamar Chase, 35 receptions, 754 yards, and six touchdowns. He's leading the league in yards per reception. People are already saying he won the rookie of the year already. <laughs> so I just got to ask you, I mean, this duo, they're insane. They're lighting the, uh, the NFL up. But do you think the Bengals – are legit. I think that they could make the playoffs, but I don't think they're legit in terms of being a Super Bowl contender just because this might sound kind of stupid saying it, but just because of the they I I think that any experience of it all. I think right now they're catching teams kind of off guard, but the funny thing is, is that these two guys did play with each other with LSU. So they already had a connection, you know, right away as soon as the Bengals started to take Jamar Chase, which is looking like at the moment the right decision because people were saying that they should have gone offensive line, offensive line, give Joe Burrow some protection, protect your, you know, your number one overall asset, your quarterback. And they ended up making the right decision by getting him another weapon and for a guy who had a really shaky start at first, not looking like he could be able to hold on to the football as far as catching it, he's definitely proved the doubters, at least for this season right now, that, hey, I am clearly a good wide receiver, and I'm clearly somebody that you're going to have to pay attention to right now because he's putting up numbers, he's getting in the end zone, and he's hitting that gritty dance every single time. So so I think that Joe Burrow and him, and it, it was even funny because I heard him, uh, I heard them, uh, having a conversation with each other and Burrow was saying like, dog, like, come on, man, you got to get into the end zone there. And then he was like, yo, why are you trying to play me? So they definitely have a great relationship with, with each other. And I think um, it's, it's good that they do already had like a previous connection in college and you're definitely seeing it spill over. And I'm curious whether or not Joe Burrow can continue to put up these type of performance and the Bengals can keep continuing to put up these type of performances um, and whether or not it'll last or if it will kind of fall off. I'm thinking it'll kind of fall off because, you know, the NFL is a quick turnaround and teams do kind of figure, figure you out. So I think the biggest key for the Bengals is maybe not that side of the football, but more so on the defensive end because of the defense, I think is their biggest question. And if they can be able to, continue to put in the performances like they did against the Ravens and you're talking about a sneaky contender for sure, but I'm just not a believer quite yet. As much as I hate to say it, I do think the Bengals are legit. You look at some of the teams that they beat or almost beat Vikings, good team beat them in overtime Packers. They should have beat them, but they lost them in overtime and then the Ravens blow out win. So they're hanging in with some of the top teams in the NFL but there is a possibility for fall off. I don't think it's going to happen because I think they, they can sustain this unless some tragic injury happens or anything. But their schedule is not going to be easy after this week. They play the Jets. But after the Jets, they got the Browns twice, the Raiders, the Steelers, the Chargers, the Niners, the Broncos, the Ravens again, and then the Chiefs. So not an easy schedule at all. But I think this team is a playoff team, especially with you see the fall of Pittsburgh that's happening and the struggle of the Browns happening right now, too. And a lot of people, including myself, had the Bengals finishing last in this division. But 
they're not only in first of the division, they're first of the AFC as of right now. So they're definitely turning heads this season. And I think they can keep it up. And I think they do definitely make the playoffs uh, this season. Up next, we got Tom Brady, Mr. Brady, the GOAT, throwing his 600th touchdown of his career on Sunday to Mike Evans. He's the first and only quarterback to hit that 600 touchdown mark. Unlucky for him. <laughs> uh, Mike Evans gave the ball to a fan, not knowing that that was his 600 touchdowns. But the Buccaneers organization retrieved the ball back from the fan, obviously with some compensation. So the fan did receive two signed Brady jerseys, a helmet, a Mike Evans signed jersey, and Mike Evans game-worn cleats. The Bucks are also given the fan a pair of season tickets for the remainder of this season and all of next season, along with a $1,000 credit to the team store and a lot of people are just like oh that's that's not that great but then brady he came on monday night football with the manning brothers and he and said that he gave him a bitcoin which is valued at sixty thousand dollars right now so that definitely sweetens up the deal (laughs) but a lot of people are saying damn he should have just taken the ball and ran out of the stadium probably could have made more money don't know what the deal is or uh even brady said he said once he gave the ball back that's when he lost all leverage. He could have at least had the ball. Um, but do you think that the fan got a fair trade with giving the ball back? It reminds me of when the that conspiracy theory story of like how Brady lost his Super Bowl jersey. I don't know if you saw like that story a couple of years ago when they were in uh, when he was in the Super Bowl with New England, and I think that's when they came back against the Falcons that year, right? And somehow, some way, he lost his jersey. And somehow it ended up being getting like uh, like some fan, I think, snuck into the locker room of the Patriots and was able to snag it. And they literally had video footage of it. And I'm like, yo, that dude did the most in order to get that jersey, risked his own life and freedom for that sucker. But this dude got the was given the ball and decided to give it back. I mean, I think the fan got a pretty solid deal out of it. And he probably is going to have a, you know, a good, you know, relationship with, you know, his team. And, you know, since I think it's because it was a fan. Now, had it just been like your average Joe or somebody that who, you know, wasn't rooting for the Buccaneers or anything like that, or, you know, I think it could have been a quite interesting sort of ordeal on whether or not he would want to give it back or not, or she would want to give it back. Because imagine if it was like a little kid or something like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, you'd be able to get that ball and that sort of like memorabilia. I don't know if, uh, if that person would want to give it up. Because to be honest, I mean, it's not every day you get to have Tom Brady 600 touchdown ball in your hands. So I don't. I think that obviously if he had it, he could have leveraged himself, you know, some more. But, you know, I think he got a pretty decent, you know, trade in the deal and, you know, hey, I think, he, you know, it would have been even cooler if uh, if he could, you know, maybe, get, you know, got to talk to Tom on the phone or get like a, a, a personal like, you know, pick with a signed picture with, you know, Tom and him in the picture. Like that could have been cool, you know, but, you know, you can't give up your leverage when you get the ball away. That's all I think. Yeah, I think he was just caught in a bad, sticky situation, but. This reminds me of uh, when Barry Bonds hit his 762nd mm. home run, or sorry, uh, it was his 55th home run. And uh, back in April, the ball sold for $376,000. So, I mean, you think about it, that 600 touchdown ball, what that could have been sold for in a couple of years, 
it's it's really interesting you look at it but i think the fan he got a lot in my opinion he got a lot of future value and investments in it so who's to say if bitcoin keeps rising this guy who's to say bitcoin hits um five hundred thousand dollars half a million dollars coming like maybe five years or something like that like dude got a deal he got an absolute deal but um he should honestly he should really be thanking mike evans for giving him the ball because <laughs> right? if mike evans never gave him the ball none of this would happen so he wouldn't right. be getting any compensation for this so it, it was definitely interesting to to see how what would happen how it would transpire but i would say he got a decent deal could have Me obviously too. got more but Me not too. terrible he can't complain just for sitting in the front row Moving on, we got the nosebleeds game of the week. Uh, taking it back to week six, we had the Vikings versus the Panthers. I won, Corey lost, <laughs> and the listeners tied. How do y'all tie, man? How do the <laughs> listeners tie? Come on, y'all, you just need Get one the more. Most up, y'all. Come on now, just send Get it to your homie, up. send it to your friend, your girlfriend, your family, whatever. Tell them to vote on it because there's no way we could be having ties in votes. Come on now, come on now. But uh, that was week six. And then week seven, we had the Chiefs versus the Titans. And I don't know if the Titans took it personal because we all three said that the Chiefs were going to win. And the listeners were definitely, I think it was convincing fashion. It was like 83% to 17%, something like that. So everybody was on board with the Chiefs. But uh, the Titans definitely took that personal. And they smacked the Chiefs and they won 27 to three. Look at it this way. Derrick Henry had more passing touchdowns than Patrick Mahomes. Let that sink in. It's mm. <laughs> pretty crazy. But uh, the Chiefs are now three and four. Do you think it's time to panic for Mahomes and uh, the Chiefs? I think it's time for a serious self-evaluation. Before, it was kind of like, we know things are not good. I would, I'll put you to it this way. You know, looking at the current situation that the Lakers kind of find themselves in. Things are not good but we know that they're going to get better. And we we're thinking that they should get better as the season goes on. But in terms of the in, in the NFL, you know, obviously there's not enough, you know, short amount of games. So we're a little over the halfway point uh, into the season almost. And Chiefs is looking kind of mid tier and average nowhere close to, if not could be, anywhere anybody thought they would be everybody was expecting to be a Super Bowl contender and they're looking anything but that so but I'll tell you this I definitely agree with what Mahomes was talking about in his uh, post-game interview he was talking about how like everybody rides with you everybody talks about you when you're doing good things and when everything's going well but when things are going bad everybody starts to look at you kind of differently and needless to say that's been happening with the media i've been seeing some crazy takes out there that have been saying that are the chiefs gonna regret giving Mahomes that crazy contract is Mahomes overrated you know this this that and the third and someone did a breakdown of some of the interceptions that he's had so far this season and about i want to say somewhere between 50 to between like uh, 51 to like 52 percent of them were like just outright yeah that was on Mahomes like he should have done better he should have recognized the coverage so but there are been some interceptions that he's had this season where guys are dropping balls Tyreek Hill Tyreek Hill Tyreek Hill Tyreek Hill come on bro and 
it's it's like the offense is just not looking anywhere close to and it's like it just got me thinking like damn does sammy Watkins really matter this much to this team <laughs> i'm like dang bro like they ain't got no type of guy who can alleviate some pressure off of kelsey and hill right now and they're really struggling but i think it's more so the defense that is putting them to the sword right now and not doing them any justice there's a compilation of Tyron Matthews throwing his hands up, wondering what is up with the, what is up with the coverage, and I think that's literally every Chiefs fan every single time they're getting blown by for a big time touchdown. It's just like, yo, what is up with the coverage right now? The defense is not doing their job. The defense is not holding up. The offensive line isn't as good as a lot of people expected it to be when you know the upgrades were made and the offseason moves were made, and it's just looking like Mahomes and the Chiefs are trying to do so much offensively, trying to do so much to try to, you know, find a rhythm or get their team back into the game that it's just too much. And I think he can, they need to slow things down and try to simplify the game and analyze the mistakes, yes, but fo- focus on what they're doing well and try to maximize them because we knew when they made their Super Bowl run and won the Super Bowl, what was good about this team? They're going to outscore you. Yes, you're going to score and hang with them, but they're going to outpace you and they're going to outlast you in the end. And that's just not been happening. So I don't know. Maybe they need to go out maybe try to see if they can make a move as we approach the trade deadline. But I just don't know what move they could possibly make at this point in time. Yeah, talk about your Mahomes comment when he said that, you know, they basically ride with you when you're high and they kick you in in the dirt. No shit. When you're... Super Bowl favorite when you're a, <laughs> a favorite to win it all before the pre uh, the season starts, and now you're sitting at three and four and getting blown out by the the Titans. I mean, what do you expect? And especially you got a half a million dollar contract, you better play up to that standard. So I don't blame people, you know, uh, kicking them to the dirt as of right now. I don't think it's panic mode per se, but like you said, self uh, reevaluation. I definitely think that's uh, a huge thing that they need to do because. You mentioned it. We talked about their offensive line. The reason why they were a Super Bowl favorite when the Buccaneers beat them and brought everyone back, the reason why they were a Super Bowl favorite, the Chiefs, that is, is because they upgraded their offensive line. But their O-line has probably been their biggest issue outside of their defense. But it has been a huge, huge proponent. You have uh, Patrick Mahomes running for his life out there, and he's been throwing some terrible picks where he's kind of just – playing like Carson Wentz per se, where he's getting tackled and he just chucks it up. And I think he's gotten like two or three interceptions that way. So, and possibly costed his team as well. So it's not looking good from the offensive line perspective. And then you also look at their running back situation. Clyde Edwards Lair hasn't really played to standards and he's on IR right now. You got Daryl Williams somewhat outplaying him in uh, the time that uh, CH is on uh, IR. And then their defense, you mentioned it, they've been very, very suspect, both in the pass game and the run game. But their pass game has been really bad. Daniel Sorensen has just been terrible for them, yet he still finds a way to get onto the field. So I don't know. This this Chief de- team de- definitely has to come together and, you know, re-evaluate this season uh, before it's too late. Moving on to this week's Game of the Week, we got the winless Lions hosting <laughs> the struggling Philadelphia Eagles. Both teams have started out this season pretty disappointing, and it's been brutal for their fans. However, I don't think it came for a surprise to their fan base this season. The Eagles are sitting at 2-5 and five right now, and the Lions are 0-7. Oh 
So basically, the reason why we picked this as our game of the week is because it's basically two shit show teams facing off. And that's exactly <laughs> what we wanted, because this could be there could be some fun shenanigans between these two rookie head coaches this week. And it's very interesting to see how this game is going to turn out, because you see the Lions, they've hung in with some good teams and have had some brutal losses. And you have the Eagles kind of in the same boat, too. The Eagles also just don't show up for the first three quarters and then come fourth quarter, they have a late surge. So it gives the Lions, I think, their best chance to win this game. Well, let's talk about it because the Eagles are currently three and a half point favorites. So do you have the Lions winning this game? They're getting their first win? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm out there, bro. I'm three and four. I need to get me a victory. And I know the Lions need one, too. So let's go get that win, boy. Detail stand up. This for me, this has got to be one of the hardest (laughs) picks for me. I think outside of what what was it two weeks ago between the Viking? No, I think it was the week before that. I can't remember the game. Um, But yeah, this is been a, oh no the hardest one was definitely the rams buccaneers for me that was definitely the hardest game and then this one's right up there with it as well too so i think as much as i want to oppose you I, i'm gonna go with the lines i think they get their first win of the season between dan campbell and those giant cojones that he has because <laughs> you see him coming up with these trick plays in the first half we saw last week with the surprise onside kick the fake point tough with the with the rams they were up they, they were up 17 bro. 16 at halftime against them so i do think the eagles i mean sorry i do think the lions are going to pull off this win um and i think they get their first win of the season it's just it it's a flip of the coin though this game really because you literally have these two shit show of teams coming in and it's anybody's ball game but i do think that when it comes down to coaching i think that the the lions are a little bit better coached you can even say motivated <laughs> you said that like a question mark like i think that they are better i mean coached. they're only seven for a reason so <laughs> And then obviously the Eagles, they don't have Miles Sanders this game, which they rarely used him anyway. So I don't even know if that's a difference maker. So I'm, that, that's why I'm ultimately rock with the Lions. Uh, that, that's all I really got to say. So make sure you guys let us know who you got winning on our social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Let us know because the current standings right now, the listeners – Three, two, and one. Still can't believe you guys tied. And then I'm in second, four and three. And Corey is in third, three and four. So I'm coming for you guys. I'm coming for the listeners. And I hope you guys choose the Eagles because I need I need this dub over you guys. I need this dub too. Not even gonna lie. Let's go. Let's move on to the NBA. We got the Ball Brothers running the Eastern Conference. LeVar tried to tell us. He's LeVar can see the future because he got Lonzo Ball. He's on the number one seeded Bulls. First time they're 4-0 since the last dance, 1996, 1997. Mm, And and then you have LaMelo Ball. uh, the point guard for the number two seeded Hornets sitting at four and one talking about the bulls though. They beat the Pistons twice, the Pelicans and the Raptors, not convincing teams, but Hey, undefeated is undefeated. And you have Lonzo ball posted a triple double with no turnovers. The first bull to do that. And he's averaging 14 points a game, almost six rebounds a game, five assists per game. 
two steals and almost two blocks a game. So he's doing a little bit of everything and he's doing it really efficiently uh, shooting 46, 43 and a hundred percent shooting splits. Looking at LaMelo ball and the Hornets, they beat the Pacers, the Cavaliers, the Nets and the Mavericks. They lost to the Celtics, or sorry, the magic. They lost to the Celtics in overtime, but tough loss for them. But LaMelo has been playing great, especially three games without his running mate, Terry Rozier. So, Looking at LaMelo's averages, 22, almost 23 points a game, five and a half rebounds, almost seven assists, and almost two steals on 47, 45, and 100 shooting splits. So he's very efficient as well, like his brother. And they're just balling. Both of the guys are balling. But what are your thoughts on how the two teams uh, are playing and how the Ball brothers are playing and helping these teams? I feel like um... – Lonzo, for me, what he's doing right now is kind of just like wash, rinse, and repeat. I've, we, we've seen his development, and I've loved it uh, ever since he has gotten off that Lakers squad and gotten away from the bright lights of L.A., and it pretty much, you know, has been like a recent trend. Like, you know, you see a guy who, like, starts to, you know, get the shine with the Lakers, he goes somewhere else, starts to be able to develop his game. I mean, a la Brandon Ingram and even also Alex Caruso, you know, shout out Alex Caruso on the Bulls as well. He's been putting up some good numbers too. And so I think this Bulls team with Lonzo is going to be fun to watch because he does a lot of stuff that is not going to get looked at in a box score, but he can put up the numbers and has the defensive capability to where he can frustrate a lot of guys who play point guard, shooting guard, and whatever assignment you give him, just because of his height, his length, and now his strength. Before he wasn't that strong, but he's gotten stronger as the years have gone by in uh, as he's been in the NBA. He's now being able to take guys into the post and be able to you know, go one-on-one, get steals, like you said, block shots, like you said. And I think that was one of the things when he came to the league, I was shocked at how great at a defense he was. And that's just continued to be something that he's just started to get better and better at. So I always was good with him being um, maybe not the the earliest of bloomers on the offensive end, because I was like, that's going to come, that's going to come. But the defense is what always got me. And then you look at what his brother, LaMelo, I think him from day one, his impact on that team has been just it's just been there and you, and it's been apparent. I think the one thing that you kind of look for with the, uh, the Hornets is can they, when they get into those dog fights and when they get into those games where they're down big, like they were in that Pacers game, they were down big and it was looking like they was going to have a tough L to start out with, but somehow, some way he got hot and they got hot at the right time. And they started to make that comeback, but he led that comeback with the, those big threes and those big shots that he was able to put up. So it's a young team, the Hornets. So I think they're going to go through the ups and downs of the season. But with the Bulls, I think they they're they're that sleeper team that I think a lot of the NBA is going to be talking about just because of how fun, how like high flying, and how exciting they are. They they are the Eastern Conference version. They could potentially be the Eastern Conference version of Lob City because uh, they got Tamar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Alex Caruso who can get up too. So I'm like, bro. It's going to be crazy, the, the the dunk highlight reels that they put up. Yeah, I mean, talk about these two teams. Both of our underrated teams, may I say, in the preseasons, off to a hot start so far. Um, but, yeah, the Ball Brothers are balling out, no pun intended. And these guys, I mean, 
they're both catalysts for this team on both sides of the ball. I know we look at LaMelo as just a scoring and offensive threat, but even defensively, because it just seems like I don't even know if he may have gotten taller this year as well. As he, <laughs> but he, he he is tall and his uh, hands have been in the passing lane. So he's definitely making his presence shown. And then you got Lonzo Ball, basically trade of all tricks. So that's he, he the both guys are definitely helping uh their teams propel to a fast start this season next up we got the nba 75th anniversary team it was revealed you got the 75 greatest nba players that were assembled on a list to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the nba they had the 50th anniversary list back in 1996 we're not going to go through the whole team but let's talk if you got we'll we'll leave a link to the the list on our uh, social medias. But let's talk about snubs because there's very controversial snubs that were uh, that did not make this 75 greatest players list. And I know it's very tough because I think they did a decent job of putting together this list. But I mean, when you look at some of the guys that were left off the list, it's just like, how do you leave these guys off the list and what they've done to, you know, kind of be a part of NBA history. So do you have any big snubs that you want to talk about? I think the one player that I think a lot of people, depending on what era you started watching the NBA, like seriously watching, you might say, hmm, but to me, Dwight Howard not being on the list is kind of yes. like crazy to me. Just because I think he's the biggest one. At one point, he was the most dominant big man of his For a era. whole decade. Yeah, so... And then the other guy that it's not a snub, it's more so the guy who's on the list that I'm kind of a head scratcher on is Damian Lillard, because don't get me wrong, you know, if you swap out, you know, because some people are saying that Kyrie should have been on the list. And I'm like, "Mm, I can see why you would think that. But even that, I'm kind of like, I don't know about that one. But for Damian Lillard to kind of be on the list, to me, it's like you're saying that he's done more to be on this list than guys who haven't won a ring, mind you, than guys like Tracy McGrady and guys, you know, when Dwight Howard was a number one option, you know, and and to to me, I feel like Dame is kind of in that same tier list of players similar to like Paul George, similar to, uh, you know, guys who are kind of like on that level. And Westbrook. See, yeah, yeah, Westbrook too, who also was on the list too. So, but I can see why Westbrook was on it because you know triple he averaged double. triple double. So he did something that nobody in NBA history has been able to do, and he did it for three straight seasons. So I could kind of justify Westbrook being on the list without a ring more so than Dame. But for me, Dame, I mean, like there's so many other point guards and guards in general and players in general that have the same sort of type of story as far as not being able to you know win a championship but put up better and just as good enough numbers so I'm like what was the criteria to put him in but not you know like a guy like Dwight Howard a guy like Clay Thompson in so that's that was my biggest thing Isaiah just like, Thomas said it the best I met the criteria <laughs> to be chosen <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I got a couple names, five names that I want to mention. First off, Pau Gasol, two-time NBA champ, six-time All-Star. Didn't make it uh, onto the list. Very, very big head scratcher why he wasn't on the list. 
Vince Carter, you talk about the most exciting in-game dunker, and he if it changed wasn't for, it, like literally changed the dunk contest. Like absolutely. after the, at the VC, like the dunk contest really has never been the same. Absolutely. Well, Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine. Okay, okay, okay. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, but he really, if you just look at it from a franchise perspective as well, he is the one that made Toronto relevant and maintained their relevancy in the NBA. And then you have another guy throwing it way, way back. Uh, he didn't make the 50-year uh, team or 50th anniversary team either, but Alex English, you look at him and what he did for Denver, averaged 21 and a half points per game through 15 seasons. And it was just brutal for him that he didn't have the great playoff success as some of these other guys did, but that's because he had to run into the Lakers. He had to run into the Rockets, <laughs> the Showtime Lakers. So um, tough, tough break for him. And then Manu Ginobili, four-time NBA champion and the guy who has – he he walked so some of these NBA players can run. Looking at James Harden, James Harden, yeah, like, a lot of yeah. these other guys, Luka Doncic, uh, bringing that Euro step and bringing it to the national stage of the NBA. And then you mentioned it. The biggest, biggest snub in my eyes is Dwight Howard. You look at him; he won an NBA championship. You can say whether he was a big proponent of that or not, but. If you look at even before that, when he was on the Magic, even you could even say when he was on the Rockets as well, too, he was still a very vital piece for them. Eight-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA, three-time Defensive Player of the Year, and five-time All-Defensive Player. He was at one point a top-five player in the league, and he was the most dominant big man. Uh, they were literally calling him Mini Shaq because mm-hmm. he was that dominant uh, when he was on the Orlando Magic, and he had to go to the gauntlet of the Eastern Conference beating the Celtics, beating uh, LeBron's Cavaliers and going up against the Lakers. He didn't win the championship against the Lakers, but still just to basically carry a team when you have uh, old Hito Turklu, you got a Jameer Nelson, you got uh, old Richard Lewis. So you have a lot of magic have not been anywhere close. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Since Dwight Howard left, you're absolutely right. And so it's just mind boggling to me. I know he may not you know, he won an NBA championship, but you could say it wasn't because of him that he won an NBA championship, but even take the NBA championship out of the equation. There's still no way that he is not on this list because like I mentioned for a whole decade, this guy was the most dominant guy at his position. So I I, I don't know how Dwight Howard isn't on there, but those are some of my snubs that, uh, that I mentioned, but one player who did make the NBA's 75th team, that was Carmelo Anthony. And he just passed Moses Malone for ninth all time on the scoring list. He scored his 27,410th point to pass Malone on Sunday night. I feel like, I don't know if Melo gets enough love in terms of his career, just because I don't know if it's a newer generation, you know, mm-hmm. bagging on him or whatever it is. But do you think that Carmelo is underrated or underappreciated in any way? 100%. I'll say... I'll say he was overrated um, in the sense of because because of his because he was obviously immature. But, you know, hey, we all kind of have to go through those things in life in general. And then also in the NBA, these guys have to understand, like, how the game is kind of played and how you can preserve yourself and have a long, you know, historic NBA type of career. And, and Carmelo, excuse me, has had a really amazing NBA career from start to finish. And hopefully this isn't his last stop with the Lakers, but this will be an amazing career whenever it, it decides to, to culminate and he decides to retire and hang up the shoes. But you just look at the, the, the impact that he's kind of had on the league 
and still having on the league, even though he's coming off the bench. And when you say like a guy who's like underappreciated, they literally were calling for him to be out of the league at one point. And look, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and be like, like it wasn't me that was saying like, yo, maybe he should just hang it up and retire. Cause I was saying it too, because look, the hoodie mellow thing, you know, was cool in the off season, but I was just like, yo, he kind of just, I don't know what type of value he can bring. Cause he can't really space the floor like that, but you know, he still could bring a veteran presence to the locker room. And that's the thing I think that's kind of more amazing about Carmelo Anthony's longevity in the NBA a little bit more than LeBron's is just the fact that he's had to see his role diminish and had to see significantly step have, having to take significant step back to the point where, you know, a few years ago when he got asked, would he you know, be willing to come off the bench with OKC? He was like, why are you asking me that question? Like, are you crazy? Do you know who I am? And I think having that willingness to accept what he is as an NBA player now, that is a hard pill to swallow and that's a tough pill to swallow. But that's one that I think is going to be looked upon and celebrated when he decides to get that uh, that uh, Hall of Fame um, speech. And I think it's going to be really intriguing because, you know, you look at the, like, the type of uh, career that he's had to deal with, like with George Carl and the, and the Nuggets. And I mean, always kept running to the Lakers. And for the most part, the Nuggets would always beat themselves. But even when he was with the Knicks, I mean, I feel like he out of all their stars that, that all the firepower that they had with, you know, Amari Sotomayor, Chauncey Billups, you know, every, all the big names that they would have, he was the only one that was still sticking around in with a bad team, with a bad Knicks team and wasn't requesting any sort of trade or anything was just going about his business and just like willing to just keep on playing and do whatever it takes to help the team win. So I think kudos for him on that point. But I think he is going to sadly, maybe if he doesn't end up with a championship, I think he's going to end up in that same sort of level with uh, Tracy McGrady, which, again, is not a shade or not a knock. But I think that's the one thing that is always going to be looked at on their careers of like, you know, oh, why weren't they able to get one? And it's because, you know, obvious, you know, obvious reasons. The NBA is tough. But I think that the, both of those guys and Carmelo Anthony are very sometimes at times they're undervalued and underrated just because of how different this era of basketball is to the both the 90s and the early 2000s. Absolutely. I think, well, looking at his resume, 10-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA, he won a scoring champion, and he's averaged 23 points a game through his entire career, and he is one of those guys where he witnessed kind of the changing of the guards in the NBA, where it became a guard-driven league. It became, a, you know, if, if you were a small forward, it was either you got to be a two-way wing player or you got to be a point forward. There was no if, answer, but. But for him to stick around in the league and be one of the greatest scorers of all time, and you see it now with him being moving on to ninth on the all-time scoring list, for him to do that as because he wasn't very known for his defense, but he was a pure scorer who can light up the, the uh, stat sheet. So for him to have this longevity in the league, and you even just you still see a couple days ago when LeBron was out, he dropped 28 points to the Lakers to help them get a win. And that's when uh, he passed uh, Moses Malone on the scoring list. So, I mean, he, he shows that he can still get the job done. It's just the league is changing so much that he kind of is getting it, it, he's thrown in the back. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of just it's tough for Melo, but I definitely do think he's underrated and underappreciated in a way that 
even maybe you see in the the social media era because we when he he was in his prime social media was a thing but it wasn't and it's yeah, it was still yeah it was still it was, coming through exactly yeah. so i mean if can you imagine if he was in his prime and social media was in his prime and he was averaging 32 a game mm-hmm. like everybody would be bowing down to him as a scoring <laughs> god how they are t- for damian lillard or you see steph curry stuff like that so i definitely think that carmelo is underrated um kind of just sucks maybe the era that he was playing in but uh yeah, definitely. I think Hall of Famer, no doubt. And I'm glad that he made this uh, 75th uh, anniversary team. Me too. Last but not least to wrap up this episode, we got the Nosebleeds top five power rankings in the NBA. Something we're going to be doing every episode with our top five teams in the NBA so far. So let's start off with number five. We got the Miami Heat. Uh, you look at their schedule and what they've done. So far, beating the Nets, beating the Bucks, they did lose to the Pacers. But this Heat team, defensively, we mentioned it that they are going to be hounds and they are going to be great come uh, this season. And I think they are a sleeper team for to win the NBA championship this year, or even just to come out of the Eastern Conference. Who's that number four, Corey? Number four, we got the Charlotte. Hornets, baby. Uh, we just mentioned them earlier, talking about Lamella Ball and how they're doing. They're four and one right now. And funny enough, them in the Heat gonna have a little matchup coming up pretty soon on Friday. So both of them are four. Know? No, the Heat are three and one. Hornets are four and one, and they play so, this Friday. So it's gonna be fun and fun and funner to see how these guys go up against each other. But just to quickly, uh, you know, talk about the Hornets. Mella Ball's playing out of his mind right now. I think what's kind of been amazing is the fact that they knocked off uh, the Nets in in very (laughs) emphatic fashion, a comeback win against the Pacers, who uh, I feel are one of those teams that could always give you a run for your money. And, you know, a a tough overtime loss uh, against the Celtics. But overall, I feel like this young Hornets team, like I said, are going to go through their ups and downs this season. But so far in the early stages, I think Michael Jordan is looking at this team, rubbing his hands together like Birdman going, I I got a squad, baby. Yeah, the Hornets have been playing well. And then in third, we got our first undefeated team, and that is the Chicago Bulls. They've been playing some good basketball, but the reason why we got them at number three is just because they haven't beaten very convincing opponents beat the Pistons, which came close on opening day, and then beat the Pelicans, beat the Pistons again, and beat the Raptors, which was actually a close game as well, too. They play the the Knicks, which are – honestly, they might have been number six, to be honest, because the Knicks are playing really well. They beat the Sixers. So they play the Knicks uh, for their next game. So that should be a very interesting matchup. See if the Bulls are legit or to see if the Knicks are legit. Who do we have at number two? Number two, we got the Golden State Warriors. Chef Steph, look at Curry, man, out here just making it rain from downtown. And they are surprisingly without Clay Thompson and with this new reloaded Golden State Warriors team, they're undefeated right now. And I think you look at this team right now, we meet, I think both me and Kush have them in the plan, but who's to say that? If they don't find like a nice little groove to start out this season, that they can't be following within at least the fourth or fifth spot. What you say, Kush? Yeah, they're looking damn good so far, getting really convincing wins against the Lakers and the Clippers. Um, but at number one, we got the Utah Jazz. 
looking like the best team thus far. They've only played three games so far. They had they beat the Thunder by 21, beat the uh, Kings, and they beat the Nuggets. Given the Nuggets, uh, Jokic did go down, but still, you the Jazz they're picking up right where they left off last uh, regular season. They finished with the best record in the league for a reason, and they're off to a hot start, and that's why we got them at number one. Some of their offseason acquisitions, Hassan Whiteside has been playing really well for them, and then not even to mention Rudy Gay is still yet to play for this team too. So this team is very, very good on paper and so far the way they've been playing. Yeah, I think Hassan Whiteside is going to add a new dynamic for them just because, you know, in those situations where – in the past where Rudy Gobert's got into that foul trouble, you don't really have anybody who can turn to mate. I'm not saying that Hassan Whiteside's Rudy Gobert, but I'm just saying that he has once upon a time, he has those traits. He has those capabilities. He has that, you know, I still think that he still has talent. And I think that the thing that you got to worry about with him is, is the focus sometimes, because sometimes he does go missing. Sometimes he's just out on the court trying to get his cardio in. That is the Nosebleeds Top 5 Power Rankings. Let us know if you agree or disagree. But that's going to wrap up our show this episode. Appreciate y'all listening. Always make sure you guys are following us on our social media. On Twitter at the underscore Nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. On Instagram, the Nosebleeds. And on Facebook, look up the Nosebleeds Podcast. And on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, we are on that. If you guys are listening and you like what you heard, shoot us that five-star rating right review for feeling generous Corey. any last words so excited to continue to watch what goes down this nba season nfl man is getting really interesting and nick greedy with the storylines and that fall classic man i'm intrigued to see what comes out of it because we could have the team that everybody wants and the braves taken away or the team that nobody wants <laughs> go ahead and steal it from in the astros man it's gonna be fun to see man october is where it's at october is here and we still are trying to get that last bit of sports up out of here yes sir we'll catch y'all next time deuces